You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to Behind the Scene at NTSB. Today, Leah and I are excited to join back to the podcast, Chairman Robert Sumwalt. Stephanie, Leah, uh, great to be with you all again. Thank you very much. And James Anderson is our technical producer. And uh, hello to James again. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Chairman Sumwalt, thank you again for joining us. Where are you joining us from today? Leah, good afternoon. I'm, I'm at my home in Columbia, South Carolina. Would much prefer to be in Washington, D.C. in the office with everyone else. Same here. And Stephanie, you are in Virginia? I am, yes. Oakton, Virginia. And I am uh, here in Silver Spring, Maryland. So we are having an um, interstate podcast today. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> Uh, Chairman, you joined us for our first podcast um, released a few years ago, and we also had you on um, about in 2018, uh, just before the holidays, discussing safe transportation around the holidays. And um, as we get going and, and as our listeners are accustomed, we have our guests share a little bit about their background. Your full background, you really dove into that in the first podcast, which we really enjoyed. But seeing as it's been a few years, we'd like you to give us a little bit um, of an overview of your background again and tell us a little bit about how you got to the board. I did uh, come from an aviation background. And uh, when I started flying, I would go to the university library. I started flying when I was uh, in high school. Um, and then, uh, then I would go to the university library while I was in college and uh, read NTSB accident reports. So I always knew that I would want to be a part of the NTSB at some point. So, uh, uh, so things worked out, and here I am, 13, almost 14 years later. But there is an anecdote that goes along with your initial interest in the NTSB that I really enjoy hearing, and I want our new listeners to have an opportunity to hear that as well. Yeah, you're right. I uh, I say I got into aviation by accident, and there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> a lot of truth to that. When I was uh, a senior in high school, I heard that there had been a plane crash. I heard that on my car radio, and I thought, wow, that, that'd be pretty cool. I'd like to go see where a plane crashed. Uh, so I figured out where it was. I followed the coroner in to the uh, accident scene, and as they ducked, uh, as they raised the tape to raise the uh, to let the coroner in, I ducked in with them. Just said, <laughs> just, just act like you know what you're doing. And uh, so uh, there I was on the scene of an aviation fatal, unfortunately, a, a fatal uh, general aviation accident. Uh, a few weeks later, I took my friend out to show him where the plane had crashed. And, mm -hmm. of course, the plane was no longer there. But um, on the way back, and this is the part that only a 17-year-old could relate to, but on the way back from seeing where the plane had crashed, what do you do? Well, naturally, you drive by the airport and stop in for the flight school and sign up for flying lessons. <laughs> and, that, and that's exactly what happened. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that I say I got into aviation by accident. <laughs> Chairman, we had the opportunity to talk with um, one of the newer board members, Member Graham, recently, um, and he had uh, talked to us about what it was like to get the call um, saying that he had been nominated for a board member. Um, and I don't know if we ever talked to you about that. I know it's been a while, but would you share with us what, what that was like for you to get the call saying that you were considered for a board member, and then also what it was like to get the call to say that you were going to be chairman. 
Yes, it was uh, March the 17th of 2006 that I got a call from the White House, the Director of Presidential Personnel, uh, saying that, uh, that I couldn't tell anybody, but he had just left the Oval Office and uh, the president had decided to, uh, to go with, uh, with my nomination. Uh, he said, you can't tell anybody. You can't even tell your <laughs> wife that, that, uh, that this has happened um, because you have to undergo a background check. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, uh, so I was, of course, nervous about the FBI background check. But, uh, and then, of course, naturally, the first thing I did after I called him or hung up from talking to him was to pick up the phone and call my wife. <laughs> but I remember him very clearly, him saying the quickest way to not get this job is for us to read somewhere that you think you have it. So mm-hmm. it immediately put the paranoia in me that I was not going to tell anybody. The odd thing is, uh, within a few weeks, the FBI starts showing up at your neighbor's houses and uh, ringing doorbells, and they're wanting to know about you. And so that, uh, you know, here you can't tell anybody, but yet the FBI is going around asking questions. So, uh, you know, I, I was a pilot at that point for a very small uh, flight department, and even the people that I flew with, the four other pilots that I flew with, uh, did not know that I had uh, that I was undergoing this uh, uh, being considered for this. It's about a from the time you get that call to the time of a nomination announcement uh, might be two or three months. And so mm-hmm. you're sitting on pins and needles the whole time wondering how that's going to go. Sure, sure. And then for your um, chairman position uh, nomination, how did that go? About the same. And uh, (laughs) it's a very, uh, very um, nerve wracking experience. And uh, you don't want to take anything at all for granted. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Especially since you were acting chairman for a period of time before before you were um, confirmed. You're exactly right. And you think that that I've actually had to go through that twice as chairman for my initial chairmanship in 2017, which mm-hmm. was only for two years, and then had to go through it again this past summer, uh, summer of 19, mm-hmm. uh, to be renominated. So uh, I swore I will never go through through this process again. It's an honor, <laughs> it's an honor to have it, but uh, uh, I think my intestinal fortitude is uh, getting less and less. <laughs> Chairman, you talked a little bit about um, how, you know, before coming to the board, you were a pilot for quite some time. Um, How did that factor into you um, becoming interested in being a board member for the NTSB? Of course, as I mentioned, Lee, I did did read the accident reports in college. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, the reason I read the accident reports was twofold. First, I was uh, I wanted to read accident reports so that I could learn, so that hopefully I would not make the same mistakes as a pilot. But secondly, I was uh, just absolutely fascinated with the accident investigation process. I do believe that reading accident reports uh, allowed me to be a better pilot because mm-hmm. I understood how mistakes, how very good people could make mistakes that lead to very bad situations. So I think that did help me. My my airline uh, unfortunately suffered a, a number of fatal accidents over a, over a short period of time. And the NTSB, as you, you know, mm-hmm. uses the party system. So mm-hmm. I was... Uh, um, I was a party member to a few of the uh, 
investigations that uh, NTSB investigations that involved my airline. So I pretty well knew the people at the NTSB. I knew the processes. And so um, um, so I think that that did help me to uh, to be able to transition into my role initially as a board member in 2006. Mm-hmm. Chairman, over the course of your career before coming to the NTSB and the, the situations that you described experiencing um, a crash with the the, um, the organization you were flying with. And now as chairman, you've actually experienced the, the longest government shutdown and now um, find yourself, you know, leading the agency through this pandemic. Um, how did those si- did those situations kind of prepare you or help you to kind of navigate where we are right now? Well, we certainly are in a very unsitu- unfortunate situation right now. But I think... I think being an airline pilot helped me to realize the necessity to prioritize and focus on those things that are most important. If you have an emergency in an airplane, the the tendency is to start dealing with the emergency. But the most important thing is to fly the airplane, keep monitoring the airplane to make sure the airplane's doing what it should be doing. We've mm-hmm. seen a number of accidents over the years where pilots start focusing on the emergency and forget to fly the airplane. So I think with respect to dealing with this crisis, uh, it's important for us to focus on those things that are most important. Those things right now are making sure that our employees are safe. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very interested and concerned about the safety, well-being, and health of our employees. So we want to make sure that we're doing that. If we're doing that, then everything else pretty much takes care of itself. Sure. I know we've had a chance to to talk to you a few times over the last few weeks. And the first thing that you all you will ask us is, how are we doing? How is our family doing? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you the, the talk of, of work is definitely not not at the forefront of the, the conversation that you've had with us. So it's been much appreciated that, that we get to share, you know, how we're doing and learn more about, you know, how you and your wife are doing in, in South Carolina and then you, your daughter also. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does your day-to-day look like right now? We're used to seeing you at headquarters, <laughs> so we have the opportunity to see you, you know, passing you in the halls and grabbing lunch together sometimes, but what does that look like for you right now? It's, it involves doing a lot of laundry because <laughs> 90%, 95% of my clothes are in Washington, D.C. So, oh, no. <laughs> so fortunately, when I left a town to come to travel south uh, after the pandemic was declared, I did pack a suit, but that was only because I was supposed to do a speaking engagement uh, a few days later, which, of course, was canceled. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's, in all seriousness, my days are uh, are like yours. Uh, my days are busy. We, are, mm-hmm. we have discovered very quickly that we have uh, great teleworking capability through uh, mm-hmm. we use Microsoft Teams. So we are able to see each other and talk with each other. So a lot of my day is involved in meetings. Uh, that are hap- happening virtually as opposed to in person. Mm-hmm. Are there any other creative ways that you've gone about uh, conducting your daily operations uh, differently than you normally would in the office? You know, Leo, what I think a lot of us have found is that it's hard to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and f- normally I would, uh, while I was in Washington, I would work until seven or eight at night and then and then leave. And then, you know, I would do email on my iPhone um, once I got home. 
but I wouldn't have my computer with me and I wouldn't be doing uh, writing documents and things like that. What I find here is uh, I'll go downstairs uh, at five or six in the afternoon, um, watch the news with my wife, eat dinner, and then come back up about nine o'clock and then work until about midnight mm-hmm. on the computer. So, so it's, 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 I'm, I'm finding, and I've talked to other people that say the same thing, that it's harder to just sort of turn it off. Yeah. So I found that to be a change. Have you all have, have you found that to be the case as well? I definitely find that I'm uh, checking my phone and and responding to emails at very strange hours, and that's partially <laughs> just because of just always having access. I mean, I always have access to my phone, but with the regular cycle of going into the office and then shutting down for you know for the evening. It's not the same. And I'm also finding, and this is, you know, kind of rolls into part of our most wanted list, is that my my sleep schedule is pretty messed up right now. <laughs> and um, and so I'll struggle to get to bed at a regular hour, or I will wake up a lot earlier than usual, or I'll wake up for a while and then I'll fall back asleep. <laughs> and so, you know, in those awake times, you know, it's just kind of habit to grab my grab my work phone and check in and see what needs some attention or maybe not doesn't needs air quotes attention. <laughs> but, you know, I'm there, I'm looking at it, I'm focused. And so I, I just, you know, do what I do when it comes to working. So yes, I am experiencing that as well. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, but I'm also sorry to hear you say that last night, uh, for some reason, well, I shut it off about five o'clock yesterday and uh, went to went to talk to my wife and was just yawning constantly. Mm-hmm. So about 5.15, I took a nap. And there again, <laughs> there's some air quotes there. Yeah. And, and um, I woke up at three this morning. Oh, so, no. So, no. you know, so, and, and, and have, been, have not gone back to, back to sleep since then. The good news is apparently I got 10 hours of sleep. They just happened to be at uh, strange hours. So, yeah, I'm waking up at all kinds of strange hours. Uh, my sleep is uh, messed up. But I hear that other people are having the, uh, the same issue as well. Yeah. And I mean, since we're on the topic, it's, you know, and since we do our safety, um, you know, our safety advocacy, we might as well take this as an opportunity to plug to our listeners that, you know, no matter what's going on right now, you know, once things start to open back up or as as our schedules start to kind of realign with uh, our normal normal day-to-day work, that people need to really focus on getting their sleep back in order so that when they are getting back on the roads to go to their jobs, that they're not fatigued and that they're not suffering from that sleep debt that we've talked about in the past. I I totally agree. Absolutely. (laughs) And we have a great podcast featuring some of NTSB's sleep Mm -hmm. experts who who work in the fatigue space. Um, Dr. McKay, who is the chief medical officer for NTSB, and Jana Price and Jeff Marcus, who I know are familiar names, but um, they did a a podcast where we talked specifically about that, managing your sleep and the importance of making that a priority. Chairman, you published a series of uh, chairman's messages that you've put on uh, LinkedIn, and and recently, as I said, it was compiled into a, um, I guess, compilation um, titled Attributes of a Healthy Safety Culture, Um, and it's in PDF and available on LinkedIn and our website. in, the, in a post on risk awareness and planning, you said, safety-conscious organizations exhibit risk awareness and planning. They constantly seek out hazards. Once hazards are found, the risks associated with them are assessed. The organization places controls on unacceptable risks to reduce the risks as low as reasonably practical. 
So as chairman and working with your leadership team, how have you put those attributes to practice at the NTSB during this time? It's a great question, Leah. And what we have done is that we, as you know, uh, anytime there's a, 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 a a transportation accident, we assess whether or not we're going, how, what our response will be. Mm-hmm. And we've certainly had to up the ante on that risk assessment uh, as it relates to which accidents will we go to. Mm-hmm. We, um, we do not want to put our, our employees at harm's way. And with this pandemic, we've been very careful about that. We, we put controls in place. Uh, so a very careful risk assessment goes into that process, and it's resulted in us basically not going to accidents uh, since very early in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, we just don't want to put our employees in a bad situation. Sure. And how has the agency been carrying out our operations since our, you know, our normal work is launching to to crashes um, across all modes, and we know that that you know crashes and accidents, unfortunately, are still happening. Um, how how are you um, keeping the the agency mission focused, but also ensuring that the employees are safe at the same time? Yeah, that that, that too is a good question. So, just because we don't go to the scene of an accident or a crash, uh, does not mean that we're not investigating it. We have the statutory Mm -hmm. responsibility to investigate all civil aviation accidents in this country. So uh, if there's a small plane crash that happens in in Iowa, um, Mm -hmm. the FAA typically is going to go and document that that wreckage uh, or at least the local law enforcement agencies. So we will use the information that has been collected on scene. And then once the, the, the coast clears in terms of the, the pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. we, will, we will then go and, and, and examine that wreckage that has been uh, carted off to a storage facility. So again, just because we're not necessarily going to the scene does not necessarily mean that we're not involved in it. We will do a very thorough investigation, but it will not necessarily be an on-scene investigation. Sure. Sure. And I'll, and I'll interject there. Sorry to interrupt, uh, Leah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if there is a a very big, a major accident that we, you know, that we absolutely have to have to deal with, um, mm-hmm. then we will respond to that. But we will make sure that that our employees have the proper personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll make sure that we uh, we've we've made a an arrangement that we will only travel to the site. Uh, if we if we have to fly, then we would only use the FAA airplanes that we often travel on as opposed to going commercial. So mm-hmm. uh, we are trying to be very deliberate about making sure that our employees are are safe when they go to uh, go to a scene. Absolutely. Sure. I think um, some people may not know it's not necessarily a, you know, you fly out to the scene and you come back the same day. Often mm-hmm. our investigators are on scene for weeks at a time. And so mm-hmm. um, taking into consideration, like you said, the fact that commercial flights not be, might be not, may not be available in hotels and different accommodations like that. There's mm-hmm. so much that goes into to making that, that decision to, to send a team out. You're exactly right. And and you mentioned something very important there. Early on, we were afraid that 
hotels in small communities may not be available. Um, So there's a lot of considerations, and we're looking at those on a case-by-case basis, basically making sure that that we have assessed the risk properly and is the risk, does the risk exceed the expected payback, and so far, we found that to be the case in each of each of the accidents and crashes that have occurred that we typically would have otherwise have launched to. Mm-hmm. And I think it just really emphasizes, um, you know, the the S part of the NTSB is you know safety, and that we take that into consideration not just for transportation, but for the health of our employees and the health of everyone, really. You're exactly right. I and and I have really tried to put a big focus on making sure that even before the pandemic, that safety is mm-hmm. something that we are all cognizant about. I've uh, put in each of my direct reports uh, performance plans that there's a, a certain elements of safety associated with their with their job performance, and uh, we want to make sure that that again we are looking out for the health the health, safety, and well-being of our employees. Mm-hmm. So in, you know, in all this whole experience, there's a lot of unknown, there's a lot of, you know, confusion up in the air We're we're doing things as we, you know, as we can, as, as uh, we learn more. But are there any positives from your perspective that have come out of your approach to, to work during this pandemic? Well, certainly I don't want to give the impression, nor are you implying that there's any positives associated with this with this horrible pandemic. And you're not implying that. But I I want to make sure that I say that. But, you know, (laughs) we we didn't even most of us didn't even realize that we had teleconferencing capability or, um, you know, the ability to conduct these virtual meetings. Mm-hmm. I don't, we had the software on our computers. I kept just shutting it off whenever my computer <laughs> would boot off. I'm like, boot up. I'd like, what is this? You know, just get rid of it. But we have enormous capability of, uh, of teleconferencing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very powerful. I mean, we, we conducted a, a board meeting virtually and we had you know that I think it went off very well we were able to conduct our business uh, from the safety of our homes and that's very important that we've learned how to do that it's also uh, giving us our staff the opportunity to catch up on report writing reports that you know the the most I don't want to say fun, but the most glamorous part of the job is being out on scene of an accident and going to, you know, the adrenaline rush of going there. Mm -hmm. Probably the least fun part of it is coming home and writing the report. So now our, um, you know, our our investigators have had some downtime to actually catch up on some of that backlog. And that's that's a a very much of a positive as well. Mm -hmm. Chairman, I know that one of your priorities when when you did become chairman was to to really focus on our internal communications with NTSB um, and that really just a few weeks before we found ourselves you know maximum telework time you had launched um, and your team had launched a new inside NTSB um, platform for all of us to stay better engaged and it's been really great to see you know the sharing of kind of pictures of everybody at home and, and what they're doing um, and just being able to stay connected. One thing that I have been curious about is that I believe our new CIO started the day of maximum telework across the agency. <laughs> so um, 
definitely, you know, drinking from the fire hose for sure on his first day. But what has that been been like? I mean, I'm sure that that, um, you know, like you said, we've all been able to stay connected. We just had our first virtual board meeting. Um, it seems like it's just been a seamless transition from from those of us watching from afar. But what has that been like? You know, it, it's funny. It has been fairly seamless. I mean, we're conducting business. Uh, it's just a different location. And and bear in mind that many of our employees tele- telework anyway. So for those people, uh, it's not much of a uh, change um, mm-hmm. other than they can't run out uh, and grab a hamburger or something for lunch. Um, but uh, And that's been a big, big transition for me, is having to go down and eat my own cooking. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I think our whole team has really pulled together to make sure that, uh, that we are keeping things as normal as we possibly can in a very abnormal situation. And I think that's a credit to the team, to the resiliency of our employees. Um, and I'm very proud of how they have adopted to the, um, to the situation that we currently have. Mm-hmm. You talked um, briefly, it was mentioned about the recent board meeting that we held virtually for the first time. And um, some people may think that that just kind of happened spontaneously. Can you talk a little bit about um, when it was determined that it would be a virtual board meeting and the work that went in, um, you know, I'm going to say behind the scenes, um, <laughs> to to get it seamlessly um, executed and what that was like for you as chairman? Like, did you have any concerns leading into it? How did you feel as you were conducting the board meeting um, in terms, I'm, I imagine it must have had just a different feel to it in terms of, you know, what you're used to in terms of being in the board meeting versus looking at your computer. So talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind. As you know, Leah, the pandemic was declared on March the 11th. Mm-hmm. On March the 12th, I was in a, in a meeting with staff and the uh, the idea was broached about a virtual board meeting, and mm-hmm. I certainly supported it all along that, you know what, we need to, again, I'll go back to what I said before, we need to keep things as as normal as we possibly can mm-hmm. in a very abnormal situation. And it's important to continue to get our products done. Um, and so, you know, to, to this credit of everybody, Going from the investigators to the board members to the technical team, the the folks in in your shop, the SRC, which is Safety Recommendations and Communications, mm-hmm. to the CIO's office, uh, to everybody who supported it. We had people in our a- administrative services uh, office that that were supporting it. Um, so the board. The staff, as they always do, the investigative staff was, would would do their practices as they always do. They always have a few mock mm-hmm. board meetings to practice who's going to say what. Um, but the board members also gathered on two occasions to to practice a fictitious aviation accident. Uh, mm-hmm. We wanted to see how we would do. And the first one, uh, it became apparent to all of us that we needed a second one. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we just we, we figured it out. And mm-hmm. uh, and that that way, by the time that we went live with the with the board, with the actual board meeting, everybody knew what was expected 
And uh, and frankly, I thought it went without hitch. It didn't just happen that way. It happened mm-hmm. that way because of a lot of preparation and planning and contingency planning on the par- on the part of everybody. Our chief information officer, who you pointed out, um, uh, started on the first day of Max Telework on March the sixteenth. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make sure that we had a contingency plan. He said, you know, if your internet should go down at home. What are you going to do? And we, the answer was, well, we'll pick up our iPhone and mm-hmm. uh, connect with Teams, which is our platform that we use, Microsoft mm-hmm. Teams. We'll connect through the iPhone. And sure enough, one of our board members, ironic that he was at headquarters when the system went down, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he picked up the iPhone and immediately um, dialed in and got got right back up. Um, so um, it helps to do contingency planning. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was very effective. That's and great. Su- it was very successful. I know that, yeah. um, you know, we, we shared a bit about that and some behind the scenes photos um, across the NTSB social media platforms. And um, we, we got um, some pretty good feedback on people just complimenting the team at NTSB for for pulling that off and. Um, you know, for the first time, it was just amazing. I know I was in awe of um, all of the people that I know worked really hard um, to make that a reality um, so that we could continue to do the work that we do. And like you said, um, pushing out the important information um, that we need to to prevent something like that from happening again. You're right, Stephanie. And I think, again, that 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 shows the resiliency of our team and our commitment, uh, the, the team members' commitment to to getting the job done. So thank you. It was kind of interesting here picking up a mallet that I made in, in, in the ninth grade uh, oh my shop, gosh. shop and using that as the gavel to gavel in the uh, the meeting. If it, if it were my job, I probably would have a plastic hammer from my kid's toy toolbox. So... <laughs> Well, the most difficult, the most unbelievable thing is that I could actually find something. Uh, so. That's like a relic. I mean, you know, something that you that you created back in high school and now was used uh, for the first virtual board meeting. So cool. Um, how about that? <laughs> Chairman, during this time, too, we've also had um, the ability and the opportunity to, to bring more people on board and to offer um, opportunities to join the NTSB. How has um, how has your, your you know the team been able to keep um, those opportunities open and be able to hire during this time? You know, and, and as you're asking the question, I mean, here's kind of an important point. Even though the nation has been in this horrible crisis of this COVID nineteen pandemic. The NTSB is continuing to function. Granted, we're not going on scene to investigate mm-hmm. crashes, but we can go back and and cover and get those later. But our our bills are still still being paid. Our um, our hiring is still going on. Report writing is still going on. Um, we are doing board meetings. So there's a lot that's still going on at the NTSB. And we have hired, uh, we've onboarded a number of employees, at least eight employees since March the 1st. Um, and I've sworn in a few employees uh, virtually, just as mm-hmm. we're doing right right now, having a conversation. And uh, so uh, things are still happening. And, uh, and so uh, a lot of good work is happening. What... 
You mentioned, you know, we mentioned having our sleep patterns, you know, kind of messed with through this process. Um, But sometimes it's not just having a different schedule. Sometimes it is actual concern for what's going on um, and and how this is changing the world. Um, What what sort of things kind of concern you um, as we move through this and as we um, move back to readjusting to our new normal, if you will? Well, I certainly want to make sure that when we do bring employees back, that we're taking a very deliberate approach and mm-hmm. we, 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 we have a, our own COVID-19 task force within the agency that mm-hmm. is looking at how we will bring people back. The first phase will involve just bringing the directors in just to look at everything in the agency and go through and figure things out, which we've already started thinking about. Like, they'll only be, as an example, we will figure out only one person allowed in the restroom. Uh, Maybe the kitchens that we have, we have various little galleys in the agency for people to make, heat up a lunch or something. Maybe those will not be used. Maybe we will uh, prop doors open instead of having people um, Mm. grab them with their hands to open them. Uh, Maybe we will uh, say that water fountains are are not to be used. I was in a drugstore and a pharmacy uh, uh, earlier uh, this week and noticed that they had a sign there that don't use the uh, the water fountain. And so we we want to go through and walk through everything in the agency to make sure that we understand what the potential risks are to our employees. And then the next phase that we will, you know, we'll have a percentage of employees coming back. Uh, maybe it will be employees are alternating uh, days in the office so that we don't have uh, large masses of people. But the point is, is that we want to be very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And by the way, what I just mentioned would be examples of things that we're considering. It's not mm-hmm. cast in stone, but mm-hmm. the point is we want to be very deliberate about how we are going about uh, bringing people back in. Sure. I know I, we know when we, when we think of it from our perspective, there's there's so much diversity in the needs of your staff too. Um, mm-hmm. I know some of us drive in, some of us take tr- public transportation, some of us have kids, some of us don't. So I I you know I thank you for all the the time and effort that I know you and and the and your team and you know setting up the different committees to really look at all of that stuff. There's there's a lot to manage when you you think about um, bringing everyone back in. I know we kind of you know this. This happened in stages across the country as we were mm-hmm. all learning about it and kind of adjusting to it. And I'm sure it'll be a staggered approach to to moving back into, like what Leah said, this kind of new normal space. Chairman, I know that, you know, we're all still learning lessons and having different experiences through that, it, through this. Is, is there anything that comes to mind that you would... Um, want to share with with someone in a leadership position as they're they're navigating this or thinking about what is it going to look like for their workforce when they start to you know transition back into the office yeah as you know um, about three weeks into this thing um, I did a, a virtual teams meeting with with you know with any anybody who wanted to tune in from the agency mm-hmm. we had about 317 uh, people our total workforce is 400 so we had a good number of people who tuned in and there, there were a couple of points that I really wanted to make, and that is, I know we're in a very uncertain situation. 
I know that there's a lot of lot of things going on in your lives. You, you know, you're trying to work at home while many of you have small children that are also at home now. Mm-hmm. The, the, the point I wanted to make to people, to our employees was, don't sweat it. If you're at home and your kid is crying, um, you know, you, you just don't worry. The work will get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want you to be all stressed out about you know, getting the work done or being on a on a virtual meeting and your and your three year old comes and hops in your lap or the cat jumps across the keyboard or something like that. <laughs> we're you know, we're all understanding that we're mm-hmm. in a different environment now. And so don't let that be a stressor to you. And I remember also saying that, you know, if you really need a mental health break, that's okay. That's understandable. Just just let your supervisor know that, hey, uh, I've got to take a couple of hours off. Uh, you know, just it's okay. And and I think us, uh, those of us in the management ranks understand that. We understand that our employees have, uh, have concerns. So I think that's the thing that I really want people to understand is that, that we are understanding as, as, the, as the agency's leadership. Mm-hmm. I personally, I appreciate um, I appreciate your understanding greatly, and I really appreciated when you sent me an email asking how I was doing with with my two energetic boys at home, um, because it is a new challenge that <laughs> we're all just kind of getting into and getting used to. Yeah, um, I cannot imagine what it's like to have uh, uh, young children at home. Uh, <laughs> I did remark to my to my wife a few weeks ago that. Uh, Thank goodness our daughter is 25 and in, uh, in another state right now. We love her to death, no question about that. But um, it's just the two of us and two cats. And so, um, um, you know, I can imagine having s- small children at home while, while we're having to deal with this uh, is, an, is an added stressor. And I, I, I remember making the point to our employees that um, 20 years ago, I was trying to co-author a book. The book was on, guess what, on aircraft accidents. And uh, <laughs> my daughter at the time, our daughter was uh, four. And I had uh, a lot of pressure on me, a lot of stress to get that book written. Uh, the, the McGraw-Hill gave us a tight timeline time to do it. And I was flying for, for an airline, and I could only write the book on the days that I was home. And I was just so stressed out. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can relate to that. And you know, the part part I didn't say is, guess what? That book got written. It's sitting mm-hmm. on the bookshelf right now. Mm-hmm. And that and that daughter is now 25 and she didn't have any emotional damage that I, that I <laughs> that, that, as a result of that, at least that I know of. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, thing, the work gets done and uh, and things are going to be OK. Yeah. Yeah. Chairman, um, while you've been talking a lot about um, how our agency has been operating uh, remotely in full telework mode, uh, the transportation industry itself has continued to operate um, mostly as normal. And some have actually had an increase in their business with shipping and um, and making deliveries uh, to essential businesses and homes. Um, and they're they're you know, taking risks to their personal health, those those drivers, those operators. Um, should we consider uh, these transportation, um, uh, these folks that are doing transportation operations um, in shipping and trucking uh, as heroes along with the other essential workers on the front line? Well, I certainly appreciate them. And uh, mm-hmm. a definition that I, I like to use when describing a hero is someone who risked their own lives to save that of someone else. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you look at a lot of people that are 
you know, grocery store workers. I mean, they're having to go out and 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 supply the shelves and check people out. And mm-hmm. and if if it weren't for people like that, um, we wouldn't have groceries. Certainly, our healthcare workers are are truly heroes in the in the greatest sense of the word. But mm-hmm. people in the transportation industry. I mean, if you're a trucker. Um, you know, for a while there, the rest, many rest stops in some some states were closed. You couldn't even stop at a, at a rest stop to use the bathroom, and um, and you know, then they wh- where would they eat? Uh, you know, and so I mean, those people are are truly um, whether they're heroes or not, they are mm-hmm. helping keep the nation running. Mm-hmm. And I have a great deal of respect and admiration for for, for what they are doing. And do, does the extra workload of these industries, uh, of these um, transportation industries that are continuing to operate, um, does it raise any concern for the board during this time? Well, I think I think you know, it, yes. I, so many of the safety regulations have been relaxed mm-hmm. uh, for a good reason. We've got a, na- a national emergency. Uh, things have to get to where they need to be. Uh, so again, some of the safety seg- safety regulations have been relaxed for a for a very important reason. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is is that once we do come come out of the pandemic, that those safety regulations are going to need to snap back into place. And uh, I think that's an important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. And. Uh I know Stephanie's got a question. I'm just going to um, wrap up my <laughs> my no, line of going, questions. It's a little bit different than on a board meeting. I don't have my five minute timer. <laughs> but um, as uh, we're getting close to um, Memorial Day weekend, and not just um, transportation professionals and, and the trucking and shipping industries will be, you know, continuing to operate, but we may see an influx in personal travel um, as people want to get out and and uh enjoy the the long the long weekend i don't know if you can say long weekend when we're in full max (laughs) telework but it's still a holiday where people want to gather with their families and friends um and hopefully they're going to do so safely but um as we uh as every year we kind of do a little discussion around the um, memorial day holiday because it is a higher um, travel weekend and we do see an influx in transportation um, crashes and accidents so i don't know if you want to offer any thoughts um, as we approach that weekend absolutely as you know we have seen um even though there have not been as many vehicles on the on the nation's roadways, mm-hmm. we've seen an increase in speeding, yeah, and and that yeah. is very much of a concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because there's not, I think I saw recently where the 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 average speed in Los Angeles on the freeways at five o'clock might be thirty seven miles per, per hour, which mm-hmm. is probably thirty miles an hour. Uh, longer than uh, greater than it really is because the 405 really comes to a creep creeping halt there. <laughs> but but you know the the now the now the average speed limit is like 60, and mm-hmm. um, so speeding we we know is is not good for safety. We did a study on that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that typically around holidays people like to uh, consume alcohol, and uh, we don't want nothing. Uh, particularly wrong with consuming alcohol mm-hmm. if, if it's done responsibly, mm-hmm. but we have to separate 
the drinking and the driving. And mm -hmm. so we've got to watch for that. F fatigue, you know, if you're having to travel, uh, travel long distances, that fatigue is a poss possibility. So, so yes, even though we're in a pandemic sort of a situation, um, we do worry about more people getting on the roads mm -hmm. and, uh, and we want them to travel safely over Memorial Day. Yeah, sure. And I know that you are a strong advocate for um, preventing distracted driving, not just driving, but across all modes. So um, I know we've had plenty of conversations just wondering what the distraction problem might look like when we all come, come, you know, start to transition out of this, this very virtual world that we're living in right now to stay connected. Um, you know, the unfortunate unintended consequences of that might be that even more so people are going to just have that addiction to their devices and mm -hmm. um, and, and encouraging them to to when they get back into the car to put put them down and out of reach. Absolutely. I know we've yeah. talked about a couple different, you know, some of the risks, impaired driving, distracted driving, fatigued driving, but just want to plug that um, no matter what the cause, that's still, you know, making sure everybody's buckled up mm -hmm. in the vehicle and that children are properly restrained in, in car, car seats and booster seats um, is just the, the single greatest safety um, action that you can take when you when you get on the roads. Um, I know we we talked about highway side, but um, Memorial Day usually kind of kicks off the holiday summer travel time. And so we know that people will be out on the waterways also. So not to forget things like making sure that everyone's wearing a personal flotation device. And again, and, you know, impaired driving <laughs> of boats is a problem. Um, mm -hmm. And we know that often the recreational boating space that um, drowning, unfortunately, is a is a common problem. So really encourage people to seek out resources for keeping their families safe, their friends safe, you know, no matter what their their mode is. Absolutely. Thank you for getting that pitch in there. Yeah, you said it very well. Both of you did. Well, we are getting towards the end of our podcast for the day. Chairman, are there any closing thoughts that you would uh, like to leave our audience with? You know, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here and talk talk to you all. I, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the, the leadership at the NTSB. Our managing director, Sharon Bryson, and her team have, uh, mm -hmm. have really been running the day-to-day -day operations of the, uh, of the agency. I'm very appreciative of the, uh, of the resiliency of our workforce. Uh, I've had a number of conversations with people. I know that there are, there are challenges, but generally speaking, people are holding up okay. We will get through this, this crisis somehow. We will get through it. Mm -hmm. And until then, God bless and be safe. Thanks, Chairman. Stephanie, would you have, do you have any final thoughts? Chairman, I just want to, again, just thank you and your leadership and then the leadership of everyone at the agency. It's been um, great. We, we definitely, at least from my perspective, feel um, like you all are, are really taking into consideration all of the different things that we might be experiencing during this time. Um, the advance notice of things just as simple as knowing, hey, for a couple more weeks, you can be assured that you'll have the opportunity to, to work from home. And, and um, it's just been really great to the, the things that have been communicated to us and the constant communication and the resources that you all have made available to us are very much appreciated. Well, Stephanie, thanks for saying that. It's such an honor to uh, to serve and to lead this agency. Um, and I know this sounds kind of corny, but I really do 
And through a crisis like this, it's become even more apparent to me that we really are like a large family. And mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I care very much for, for the employees of the agency. And uh, I appreciate all the great support that, uh, that you all have uh, provided, uh, not only during the crisis, but uh, back during the good times as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. I certainly echo all of Stephanie's sentiments, and I do um, I do miss seeing you and the rest of the staff um, at headquarters. So I do look forward to when we will all be able to physically cross paths again and see each other in the office. Um, but in the meantime, we'll continue to connect virtually. Um, I want to thank again James, our producer, for helping us uh, keep our operations going as normal as they can be. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Thank you. For Finally, again, Chairman Sumwalt for joining us again. It's been great to chat with you. And we will talk to you, listeners, next time. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye. Bye.